Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for these guys, just the opportunity to hang out and um, just talk about your word and your plan for every man. And so, God, as we, um, as we read uh, your word today, as we see uh, what, um, what you want us to, to see and hear what you want us to hear, uh, let, it, um, let it embed itself in our lives. Uh, let us be able to stand bold in our faith and in our marriages and with our kids and with our families uh, for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, last week uh, when I talked about God's plan for every man, uh, if you remember, the first part of the series was we have to embrace God's vision for our life. We have to embrace God's vision for our life. And we looked at uh, examples throughout Scripture of embracing God's vision. Today I want to talk to you on this idea. Uh, is every man, this is what I believe, every man needs a church family. Uh, every man needs a church family. Now, if you look around churches traditionally and, and, and almost every Sunday, uh, you'll see a lot of ladies in churches. Um, and, and you'll see a lot of ladies that are married and their husbands aren't in churches and the, and the men aren't here. And uh, I remember as a, as a kid growing up, there, was all, there were always those dads that would drive up and drop their kids off and their wife off at church, and the dad would go down to the local uh, you know, breakfast shop or Bill Smith's Cafe or something, and he'd have a cig and a coffee with his buddies down there, and then he'd come back and pick the kids up. And, uh, you know, we men are prone to be that way. We, we know what's good for our kids. We know what's good for our wife, and we need to go put them in church, right? And we're, we, a lot of times we're that way because we want to put our wife and our kids in church so when they come home, they'll understand that obey part, right? Uh, we, want the, we want the pastor to teach them to obey us when they come home. And uh, I would recommend you not go uh, mention that to your wife. Hey, the pastor said you need to obey me. Um, so uh, that may not go well for you or your soul. Um, but uh, we can know that's what we want. Um, but, you know, I'll just submit to you, every man, God has created us because we need a church family. We need relationships. Uh, we have a tendency to isolate. Go back to just our church and every church across this nation, every evangelical church, uh, every uh, church uh, across the nation. Uh, they were filled on Easter Sunday morning. You know, we had over 6,000 here uh, Easter Sunday morning. And then last weekend, we, you, know, you, you have a third of that. That's the way it happens. And you look around, and it's more women than men. And because a lot of times we think, hey, I'm going to go fishing today. I'm going to go, hey, church is good. I'm, I'm for church. But we don't realize that God created us for relationships too. God created us for relationships too, and we, we meet them. So uh, we need them. And so as we think about uh, Easter, think about church, um, you know, there are a lot of people in church, a lot of guys in church even just a couple of weeks ago. A lot of guys in church, but a lot of them really didn't know why they were here. They, they thought ritual. I know I should go to church on Easter. I, uh, they thought it's just duty. I, I know God, if there's, any, if there's ever a day that God wants me in church, it's Easter Sunday morning. And so we just kind of go touch that church base. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's, it's way more than that. Uh, God created us for that. So how many of you have a pen? Do you have the uh, insert to write on? Uh, here's your first thought. God did not put us here as men to live self-centered lives. God did not put us here as men to live self-centered lives. Uh, his plan is uh, for you to build your life around him, to have God at the core. God did not put you here to live a self-centered life. All about me. It's my boat, my house, my 
uh, my trucks, my car, my ranch, my this, my that. God did not put us here on this earth to live a self-centered life. Uh, he wants, I'll just, uh, I was thinking, what are some things that we can understand? Uh, man, we grew up, I, I remember growing up and, and buying cars and uh, stuff like that. God, remember talking about hubcaps and, you know, what, what are my wheels going to look like? I finally got to where I bought that, my my favorite car of all, and I still look over on the internet and Craigslist, a 1979, the first real car that was my car. You know, my first car uh, was affectionately referred to by my friends as a silver turtle. Anybody have one of those silver turtles? In other words, it, it, was, it, it was the turd of the, of the cars of the house, and when you got 16, your dad passed it down to you, and it was a big four-door Oldsmobile something with the black Landau top on it. And uh, so all my buddies, I'd roll up in that bad boy. Uh, you know, a whole baseball team could get in my car with me. And uh, it was called the Silver Turtle. But I saved my money, saved my money, saved my money, and I was like, Dad, is this all I can get? He goes, no, 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 you can get whatever you want. I go, really? I can get whatever car I want? He says, yeah, you just, all you got to do is pay for it. <laughs> and so I saved up and saved up and bought a 1979 four-speed Z28. That was it, man. That was the car. And uh, I always had terrible tires on the back of that car because they used to just wear out like nuts. And Dad was like, man, what's up with those tires on the back of your car? And I always had these crazy explanations, a lot of gravel in the parking lot and stuff like that. And he goes, I don't need to hear that bull. But uh, God wants to be a hub of our lives. He wants to be the core of our lives. He wants to be the focus of our attention. He wants to be the center of our life. He wants to be the axis of our existence. Uh, so today we're going to talk about, um, you know, five thoughts on church. Here's number one. You ready? A church, when it comes to men, a church helps me center my life around God. A church helps me center my life around God. And being in groups like this helps us center our lives around God. Uh, somebody read, and this is where we always do this. Um, I'm going to let y'all read Scripture. And part of why I do this, because I'm convinced uh, that uh, a lot of men don't read Scripture in public. And so if you've never read Scripture, this is pretty a pretty safe environment. Uh, I'm not going to promise you it's totally safe because uh, if you mess up, we'll pick on you. Uh, but uh, somebody read that first uh, verse. All you got to do is just read out loud 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, under the idea, church helps me center my life around God. So Christ's love compels us, man. When we understand, think about the facts of the resurrection. Jesus Christ led his disciples. Uh, he lived on this earth. He um, made the lame walk, made the blind see, fed the 5,000, did all of those things for um, Peter and the other disciples when they were in the, uh, in the boat and uh, the wind was about to overturn them. He calmed the seas for them. Uh, and, and all of those as we think about that, but ultimately, those are great things. It was that Jesus Christ went to the cross to be nailed to the cross, to be beaten, to be abused, uh, to be nailed to the cross, to be buried in a tomb, to, to pay the price for my sins, to die my death. Uh, so that we could have a relationship with God. And so it's Christ's love that compels us. How do we know if, uh, if our lives are controlled by God? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts, and this is, this is how you'll know if you're really living a God-centered life. Uh, number one, how to know if, uh, if your life is God-centered. Number one, um, focusing on God means worship is a priority. 
Focusing on God means worship is a priority. There's your answer there. If, if, if being in worship in God's house to worship God is a priority in your life, uh, chances are you're living a God-centered life. Chances are you are living a God-centered life. If, if, if church is just an afterthought, if church is a, if I can't find anything else to do on Sunday morning, I'll go to church. Or, okay, my mom's in town. Uh, some of you guys know that my favorite uh, thing to do on special, special holidays is uh, y'all to come up and introduce me to your moms and your dads or family who's in from out of town. And you, you, some of you, I've stung you with that. Man, well, I wish they would come back more because that's the only time I see you in church. And, uh, you know, then, then old mom's kind of shocked. And I'll go, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're, they, they were in church Christmas Eve. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, hey, listen, if worship is a priority, chances are you're either, you're either living a God-centered life or you're on your way to living a God-centered life. And it's good to be here on Tuesday, but, man, I, I want to encourage you, make church a priority in your life. Somebody read that Leviticus passage, Leviticus 23.3. This speaks specifically to us as men. All right, so what does that say? Somebody tell me. It's pretty simple. I mean, even, even we dudes on Tuesday morning can figure out what that, what that means. What does that mean? That's right. Work, on, work, work during the week. Work your tail off. You know, work hard. Six days work. But let me tell you, there needs to be a day of worship. There needs to be a day of, of worship. And, and here's what we know as a church, uh, that work schedules are different. You know, we, we no longer live in, uh, um, who was it growing up, Barbara Mandrell or Dolly Parton used to sing that work in 9 to 5. Who, who was it? Anybody know who that was or somebody else? Huh? Dolly Parton. I knew some of you hicks would know. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't live in that. I mean, we're seven-day-a-week people, right? I know my job is seven days a week. I have noticed this in my 22 years as your pastor. People will die on my day off. If you would die on the day that I'm working, it would be much more convenient. Uh, people go to the hospital on my day off. People call me in the middle of the night. I've taken my, my child. Does that, does that make sense? You know, the, the truth is, and that's not just my business. That's your business. My guess is if you have a boss and he thinks he needs to call you Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. for a conference call to talk about your production, he's going to call you at 3 p.m., right? That's the way it is. It is, and, and guess what? If that means he thinks you need to travel Saturday, Sunday morning, then that's probably what you need to do is he's going to say travel. But we need to understand that worship needs to be a priority in our lives somehow, some way. That's why uh, we not only have worship services on Sunday morning, but we are always online for those who are traveling. It's always great when uh, I get texts of, uh, of people who says, hey, I'm traveling, but watching you online, enjoying Cottonwood online. Uh, and that's a great thing. That's why we do our online. We also do a Sunday night service uh, for those people who, who couldn't come. We've got, you know, I, I also remember growing up, y'all know I'm very, love sports, grew up uh, sports. My kids are in sports. But I remember growing up it's in spring texas we never had a game or a practice on wednesday night or sunday because of church 
Now that, that, that no longer, longer applies. If you want your kids, and we understand this. This is culture. Culture always wins. Um, if you want your kids plugged in in a volleyball team or a baseball team or a basketball team or whatever it is, it doesn't matter how much you love Jesus. AAU is playing on Sunday morning. Doesn't matter how much you love Jesus, AAU is playing on Sunday morning. But as, as a dad, guys, we need to lead our families to have worship as a priority. That's why we do a Sunday night service. We were in, we spent about an hour and a half uh, just in a planning meeting that um, that sometime probably in the middle of August we're also going to start a Saturday night service. We do a Sunday night service. We're going to start a Saturday night service uh, just to create another opportunity. Uh, we're willing to kill ourselves to make sure families have an opportunity to worship. But it's got to be that way. It, we've got to make it a worship. Yeah, uh, priority. Yeah, Shane. That's right. That's right. And so um, uh, what's also funny is I've got to be honest with you. There are some of you, and some of you in the room have said, hey, listen, just didn't feel like going to church this morning. I'm sitting here watching online. Um, can, I, can I tell you uh, uh, that we can track where people are when they're watching online? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. On any given Sunday morning when we have 1,000 people touching base with us online, uh, they'll come in and say 450 of them were within four miles of the church. And I'm like, they're just waiting to see if there's something good enough to come. That's all they're doing. They're just waiting to see. But, hey, uh, whether, whether it's online, in person, when you travel or whatever, um, you can know your, your life is beginning to be focused on God when you make worship a priority. And, and I'll be the first one to admit, uh, this is not the only church you can go to, and there are going to be some times that, that you're going to roll in here and I'm going to preach a terrible message. It's going to happen. A lot, all right? But you'll know I'm going to give you, but it's, it, see, it's about you. It's more about you than it is my sermon or the music. It's am I making God a priority in my life? Here's thought number two. You ready? You know you're beginning to focus on God when focusing on God means spending time with God's people. Spending time with God's people. Write that down, those two words, God's people. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody read that Acts chapter 2 verse All right, notice, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread uh, in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, one of the ways you know you're beginning to make God the center of your life is focusing on God's means you enjoy spending time with God's people. Uh, Acts chapter 2 right there, that uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 46, Pentecost has just happened right before um, uh, that chapter. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was talking with his disciples after the resurrection, and he said, and we're going to see this here in a few minutes as we end the day. Uh, Jesus said, listen, um, I'm about to go back to the Father. And when I go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and he's going to, he's going to come upon you in power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even in the remotest parts of the earth. Then it says Jesus uh, ascended up into heaven, and the guys just stood there and looked. And how many of you remember what the angel said? You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing? 
you know, a lot of times we, we, we think our whole Christian life is about gazing up. The point was, go, go be missionaries where you are. And so in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost came and uh, thousands were saved. The church exploded. And what happened? This is what you see. How, what, what did the church start doing? Man, God's people, they were focusing on God. God's people spent time together. It says every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They break bread, uh, broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere heart. Man, focusing on God means I also not only want to make worship a priority, but I want to be with God's people. Now, not exclusively, but I want to be with God's people. Uh, give me the third thought right there. Focusing on God causes you to stop worrying worrying, write that word worrying. I can't hardly say it at 6 a.m. in the morning. Worrying because you'll know that you're really focusing your life and your heart on God when worry begins to dissipate in your life. When you'll say, God, I'm, I'm being faithful to you. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. I'm living your way. And worry begins to to dissipate in your life. When I am the center of my universe, when I am the center of my own universe, if it begins to go poorly, I have reason to worry. Does that make sense? If I am the center of my universe and my universe begins to go poorly, I have reason to worry because what I've created is beginning to fall apart. But if I look to the creator of the ultimate universe consistently and say, God, you know what? I'm just honoring you with my worship, with my family, with my commitment, with my surrender, with my obedience to you. And God, I'm going to trust you with that. Then naturally, worry is going to begin to dissipate. It's going to begin to disappear. Somebody read Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 right there. All right. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So what, what does that mean as we think about living a God-centered life? Worship becomes a priority. Being with God's people begins a, becomes a priority. The natural result is I'm going to worry less when I'm faithful with God. So kind of the summary, worship is a life centered around God. Worship is the antidote to worry. Um, whenever you focus on God, uh, you're going to worship, be with God's people, and the result will be you'll worry less. Here's number two. Ready? Why every man, God's plan for every man is that he would have a church family, a family of God to be with. Uh, a church helps me connect with other believers. A church helps me connect with other believers. I just shared that with you. Uh, focusing on God means I want to be with others. You were formed for God's family. God created you for a family. We were all created. Uh, for a family and to be, be involved in God's family. God didn't plan us uh, to be isolated and insulated. That's not who we are. But oftentimes we are as men. And I'll tell you, uh, I, I can think back in my life. Maybe you can think back in your life. The more difficult sometimes things have been for me, like when my brother took his life and stuff, I begin to isolate and insulate myself. I begin to withdraw. When things are going great, I have a tendency to be out with people more. When I'm struggling a little bit, I have a tendency to close up. How many of you are kind of that way? That's what we do. God did not create us to be isolated or insulated. God created us even in those difficult seasons. I'm not done, Brian. Can you sit back down? <laughs> so <laughs> um, uh, are you going to isolate yourself? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> uh, God didn't create us. Oh, I think he's going to the restroom. Okay, nature calls. Um, so anyway, sorry, Brian. Um, 
God didn't create us, man. But guys, that's part of why we need to be with God's family. Uh, we've gone through some difficulties in here. And from time to time, I'll say, hey, share what's going on in your life. And I, we've had guys in here share about losing their job, struggling in their marriage, struggling with the kid. Um, I own my own business, and it's not going well. Let me tell you what, those are hard things. And you can insulate and isolate yourself. But, man, part of being called by God is that the purpose of God for your life, God's purpose for every man, is that you would be with other believers so during those seasons they can encourage you and lift you up uh, when the world's trying to kick you to the curb and keep kicking you, that that's why we want to be with other believers. Uh, somebody read that Romans chapter 12, verse 5 passage. All right, so in Christ, though we many form one body, we're, we're one body of Christ, Romans chapter 12, uh, we were created to be in relationships together. Uh, I ran across a, uh, an article as I was preparing for this. It actually goes back to um, March 18, 2015, and it was in Time Magazine Health, and it said that those people, particularly men who are isolated and lonely, uh, they have an increased death rate of 26%. An increase, the more we isolate and insulate ourselves, the death rate begins to go through the roof. Uh, and, and then they even went on in the article in Time Magazine, uh, they differentiated between feeling lonely and actually being lonely. There's a difference. How many of you know there's a difference between feeling lonely and actually being lonely? Because there is. Feeling lonely is, is, an, is an emotional, it's a mental state. Being lonely means I'm actually not with people. Uh, that, that is one of the reasons why we as a church are constantly pushing our people as we think about the, the throngs, the crowds, the, the crowds that are out there, that, that we don't want people just to stay in the crowd because you can sit in a crowd and be totally lonely. Right? And not know anybody and have relationships. That's why we're always pushing people to small, small groups. That's why we're always pushing people to life groups, to home groups, to something. Why? To be with small groups where you can open up, tell them what's good in your life, tell them what's, what's struggling in your life. We were that way. We were uh, created to be in relationships. So there's a difference. It's interesting. If you feel lonely, they, they went on and they say respectively, if you just have strong feelings of loneliness... Strong feelings of loneliness, same article. Your death rate goes up 29% compared to the average man. If you not only feel lonely, but you actually are lonely, you have totally isolated yourself, your death rate increases by 32%. In other words, if you ever stop coming to this class, chances are you're going to die. <laughs> That's the way to build a class right there. Chances are you're, you're, you're about to kick the bucket. So the point is, hey, don't isolate yourself. Don't, man, and, and, and we all know, man, I'll tell you, there are times in my life, even, even as a pastor of a church, that, that and uh, people, that's just who I am. It's, it's, it's what I, this my, kind of my job. But there are times that I can have the feeling of loneliness. But, but what's worse than just feeling lonely is actually making yourself alone. Don't do it. God, God didn't create us that way. So here, write this down. Connection with other believers uh, is called fellowship. 
the New Testament word uh, for collecting and uh, collection, collecting and connecting with other believers is called fellowship. We know that's a church word, fellowship. It's learning to love the rest of God's family. It's learning to have relationships with the rest of God's family. Somebody read Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Somebody read Romans 12, verse 10. Uh, notice that word, one another. Uh, one another. If, you've got that, uh, um, uh, if you've got a pen in your hand, underline that word, those two words, one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another, and then underline that one another. If you look through the New Testament, there are over 57, almost 58 one another's. And, and there are way more than that, but 58 different things that we're supposed to do with one another. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to, we're to worship with one another. You can just go down. Uh, one another, one another, one another, one another. Two right there in that verse. God created us to live our lives, even as men, in a one another atmosphere. To, to hang out with each other, to be with each other, to encourage each other. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, take that idea of one another literally to be around people and to be with people. Somebody read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. All right, notice, but fellow citizens with God's people, citizens of heaven and on earth, and also members of his household. Man, when we are believers, when we're of the faith, we are members of God's household. That is, we are, we are the children of God. Now, uh, how many of you have more than one kids? I heard John said he got three, I've got four. How many of you, your kids love each other all the time? Right? No, not at all. I've got four kids, and, and they're always developing alliances, right? They're, you know, one likes four, and then two likes one, and one likes two. Yeah, they're always, depending on their stations in life and their priorities, there are always seasons when I look at my kids and I go, do y'all like each other at all? And man, that's the way it is in, in my house. And, and I know it's that way in your The truth is, when you come to God's house in a collection of people, that doesn't mean everybody in this room is going to be your best friend. Because some people, man, they, they have different hobbies and different interests and different stuff. Some people are very sportsy. Some people are, uh, some dudes are, are very hunty. Some people are guns. Some people are no guns. Some people are Republicans. Some people are Democrats. Uh, some people are this and some people are that. Uh, the reality of it is not everybody in God's household is going to be your best bud. And that's okay. And that's okay. But we're still part of God's household. We still relate to each other, and God created us to relate to each other. Um, here's the second thought. You ready? Uh, uh, next thought. How do I get connected with God's family? How do I get connected with God's family? Here it is. Here's how you connect with God's family. Somebody stand up or, or read Acts chapter 2, verse 41. All right. How do I get connected with God's family? Uh, how did you get into your family that you grew up in? Somebody tell me. There you go. I was born into it. That's how you get connected in God's family. Just like you have a physical family, you have a spiritual family. Now, notice it says, first of all, how do I get connected in God's family? I accept his message. What was the message? If you go read the verses before, um, uh, Peter is sitting there preaching along with the other disciples and the other apostles. They're preaching. What are they preaching? That 
that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. They were teaching that we've all sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody, that sin separated me from God. God always desired a relationship with me, but my sin, my sin separated me from God. And so that was a chasm, that was a, that was a, a separation that I couldn't bridge myself. But I love what Scripture says. God loved me so much that he sent his son to take away my sins. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died paying the price tag for my sin and your sins and the sins of the world. And that Jesus died in my place, was buried, rose again the third day, that whoever would believe in him, accept his message, would be saved. That, that, that is the message that they had preached. Now, the other messages that we can preach to ourselves are, you know, basically that I'm going to be a good person and I'll work my way to heaven. If, if I'm just better than most, I will, I will work, my, work my way to heaven. What did the Apostle Paul say to that? It's not by works that you're saved. It's by faith. The, the reality of it is if you, if you or I or anyone thinks they're going to get to heaven by their good works, it's not going to happen. Notice they had to accept the message. What is the message? In and of ourselves, we're sinful, see, boss, uh, is we're sinful people. We're sinful people. Our sin separates us from God. There's no thing, nothing I can do to be good enough to get to heaven. There's nothing I can do. I can't go to church enough. I can't help enough old ladies across the road. I can't do it. None of all of those things might be good. I can give alms to the poor. I can do all of those. None of those. That's what the Pharisees were all about, right? They had their rules and their religiosity, and uh, you know, <laughs> the the beauty of our church is Pharisees don't hang around long. Uh, in our church, but they all thought we're going to earn God's favor because we're, we're, we're going to be a bunch of do's and don'ts. They had taken God. By, by the time Jesus showed up, if you didn't know this on the Pharisees, by the time that Jesus showed up on the scene, they had taken the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, which were ten solid commandments, by the way. It would be good to memorize those and just live those. We'd all be better off. They took those Ten Commandments and turned them into 613 commands to do this and don't do this. Well, the problem is if you didn't grow up as a Pharisee, you didn't know half of those commands. And what they would do is they would just walk down the street and judge you. They would look at Mike and say, look, Mike's, Mike's, Mike's breaking command number 239A. And Mike's sitting over there going, which one's that one? Well, if you knew God, you would know. No, if you had memorized our playbook, you would know. And that's why Jesus, man, if you go look, if you go look at the red, how many of you know what the red letters are when I say what the red letters are in the New Testament? That, that, those are the words of Jesus, right? If you've got a red letter Bible, if you're reading uh, and you didn't know this and you see red, that means Jesus said those things. You go read Jesus' words. His most comforting and encouraging words to those who are hurting, those who are struggling, and those were outside of what culture thought was God's purview of love. Jesus' harshest words were to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those who listened to this thought themselves religious. Does that make sense? Those who thought they were religious. See, the message of the gospel, 
which simply means good news, is that there's nothing I can do in and of myself to earn God's love, that God loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. Jesus did the work. There's nothing in and of myself that makes me righteous. My sin was paid for by one thing, that Jesus died on the cross. Remember when he hung on the cross? Uh, he looked into heaven and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looked into heaven and said, it is finished. That is an accounting term. Uh, it's, it's a Greek word, tetelestai. It means paid in full. You ever gotten to a place where you bought a car and you stamped paid in full or you had something on layaway? I remember my parents used to do Montgomery Ward's layaway things. I don't think they're even around anymore. Layaway. Eventually, they'd get to a place where they could stamp paid in full. All right? When Jesus hung on the cross, it's paid in full. What was paid in full? The price tag for my sin. What does the Bible says? For the wages of sin is, somebody tell me. Death. For the wage of Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. What did Jesus, what is the wage of my sin, the price tag of my sin? Death. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died for me. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the message of the gospel, is that there's nothing I can do to earn God's love and earn God's favor and earn God's reward and earn God's salvation. It's already been taken care of. So notice, what did they do? to get saved. What's the word there? They accepted the message. They received. They believed. That's all they did. They accepted his message uh, and were, what, baptized. So how do I get connected in the family of God? Number one, I'm get, uh, uh, it's the word saved. I get born again just like you were born in your family. I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. The second thing is I'm baptized. So those were the two things. That's why if you look at our church, um, if you want to be, be a member of our church, it's those two things. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? And have you been baptized? What is baptism symbolic of? What it, is somebody like playing music over there? What, is that you, Doug? Who is that? Coming out of that black bag, is that you, Ron? Okay, well, good. I hear somebody, I feel like I should be getting a massage or something, so, uh, which really concerns me in a room full of men. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> good. All right. So here, what, 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 what does it mean to, to join a church? It means that I, that, I, that I accept the message and I'm baptized. What is baptism symbolic of? There you go. When you look at a baptism, it is symbolic of the death of Jesus. He did, died on Friday. What did they do with him? They buried him, right? What happened on Easter Sunday morning? He rose again. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. They accepted the message and were baptized. That, that's basically what, what you have to do to be a member of our church. Why do we set those two as requirements? Anybody can attend, by the way. Anybody can attend. Anybody can come worship. But to, to join, we want to make sure you know the gospel. Why? Because just joining a church won't make you saved. That's back to works, right? We want you to accept the gospel and be baptized. Baptism is, is not completing your salvation. Baptism is putting on the jersey. Is, is this Thursday night? Is this the NFL draft? Is this, all right. Um, here, here, it's going to be a big deal. How many, are they still saying that Miles Garrett is going to be number one draft choice of Cleveland, or is Cleveland going to screw it up? 
Uh, I, no, nobody knows. All right, here's what's going to happen, right? The Browns are going to put, number one draft trip, Browns are going to put in a card that says, here's who, here's who, by the way, don't, don't get nervous, guys. I know some of you always have to, have to go work. Uh, we're not going to finish this today. I'm going to come back to it and finish it next week. So don't think, oh, my gosh, how long is he going to go? All right, so they're going to write in a name, whoever they draft, right? Roger Goodell is going to come up there. What do we know is going to happen, right, these days? He's going to get booed, exactly. Roger Goodell is going to get booed heartily. Then he's going to say the Cleveland Browns draft, and they're going to give the name. That guy is going to walk out of the green room, right? What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to put a hat and a jersey on him, right? All right. Now, did he become a Cleveland Brown when they put the hat and jersey on or when the draft pick was in? He became a Cleveland Brown when the draft pick was in, when they turned it in. Salvation is turning in the pick. That means I've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Baptism is simply putting on the hat and the jersey. Does that make sense? That's the outward sign of a selection that has taken place somewhere else inside me. So baptism doesn't complete your salvation. It's putting on the jersey. What's the jersey? Identify me with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do you join a church? How do I get connected with God's family? Uh, salvation, baptism, then choose to belong. Say, I want to be a part of what God's doing. Last verse, and then we'll end right here on point two. Uh, 1 Corinthians, somebody read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So the Spirit of God comes in and lives in me, lives in you when, from the moment I accept Jesus Christ. So we were all form one body. What's the body? It's the body of Christ, the body of believers. So God's plan for every man. We got to point number two today. Uh, that God's plan is that you would be connected with God's family. Got to come back next week because the next three points are better than the first two. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for these guys. And uh, Lord, as they journey off, here's what I know, Lord. Some of them are journeying off to some of the best blessings right now they're ever, they've ever experienced in their life, in their jobs, in their families, in their life, and everything. Some of them, God, um, they're journeying off to, to more difficulties than they saw coming eight months ago, 12 months ago, two years ago in their families, in their jobs, uh, uh, with their kids or whatever. God, whatever they're going off to, let them know that they don't, don't have to go it alone. Obviously, they can serve you and worship you and make you the center of their life, but they also have us uh, to encourage them along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.